Would you thank the Lord for our friends who've led us well in worship tonight? Let's just thank the Lord for their leadership. Amen. Amen. Well, I'm hungry to eat from the Word of the Lord again tonight. I trust that you are as well. And so grab your Bibles. We'll be in Romans chapter 12 as we've been for the last number of weeks as well. Tonight is 1 Samuel. We'll be in chapters 18 through 20 tonight. But uh, this series we've been in on Sunday nights entitled R12, Romans chapter 12, looking at true spirituality based on the curriculum by Chip Ingram, has been helping us see what it means to be an authentic Christian or to be a true Christian or to have true spirituality in our life. And we've not only looked at some of these verses in Romans chapter 12, but we've seen some biblical counterparts in, in Old Testament stories of what God is doing in the life of those who are trusting in him. Tonight we're looking at what it means to serve in love. To be a Romans 12 type Christian, we will be serving one another in love. And it impacts relationships that we have. We're going to look at David and Jonathan and and their story and how it teaches us to experience authentic community. I want you to think for just a moment before we get started about some of your good friends in your life. If you had to list... One or two or three or four good friends that you had at any stage in your life. You may go all the way back to elementary school. You may go back to high school. You may go back to college. You may go back to young adult days. I'm not sure when it is. You may go to yesterday. But when you think of somebody who is a good friend in your life, I want you to think of that person. Think of the things that characterize that relationship. Most of us don't have to think too hard to to not only think of a friend, but to think of a time when maybe a friend failed us, or we were told that we failed a friend. It doesn't seem too hard to think of a time when we didn't have a friend. As we grow older, we become more skilled in in talking about things like this and sidestepping the emotions that we feel, And, and while an adolescent middle schooler will tell us the great fear of not having a friend as adults, sometimes we get to the place where we go, I'm good, I'm fine. But yet our need, while we've been wired the way we've been created to connect with one another, is just as strong. And so I want to argue before you tonight, this teaching, and if you're a person who likes to take notes, I just want to relieve the pressure for you. There's not a chance in the world we're going to get through the whole outline tonight. We're going to take this in two parts. So just, just relax. We're going to get through as much as we, the Lord allows us to tonight, and we'll come to the, the second part of that teaching next week. But as we look at this, this is not just random information about relationships. This is not just random information about what community in the body of Christ could and should look like. This is a, a template of what it means for us to have vibrant spiritual relationship with Christ and how it should call us to have impact with one another. We moved to Denver, Colorado. I was in my elementary age years, and we came to a new house, a new town. We'd never been there before, and I remember vividly saying this to my mom, and she was recounting this back to me. I'm sure it broke her heart when it came out of my mouth, and we were praying together as a family, and we are in this new town, new home, new church, new everything, and she said, Brady, who's your best friend? And I said, my best friend is the park. I couldn't think of one person. Maybe tonight is your challenge to think of a friend. You don't like that question because maybe a pattern throughout your life is, I don't know if I have good friends. Oh, I have people I'm surrounded with, but I don't know if I can count them as a good friend. And so what went on our prayer list is we were praying that the Lord would bring me a friend. 
I'll never forget in the backyard of our house there in Denver, Colorado, my family had been praying for a friend and out of the kitchen window looking to the backyard, my mom saw this little boy that has seemed to be the same age as me cutting through our yard to get to his yard and she ran out the back porch. She ran to him yelling, boy, boy, come here, thinking that this could be the answer to prayer and I'm in in the house going, oh mom, this is a bad way to start a friendship. Have you go chase somebody down? But as a parent, as we think of our friendships of our kids, our heart longs for them to have that relationship. And, and friends, it's no different when we're an adult. We may come up with some coping mechanisms, but our heart longs, Lord, would there be someone that I could connect with? Would there be someone that I could share life with? But see, God not only calls us to experience these friendships, but to offer these friendships. And tonight what we're going to look at is what God is calling us to be a part of. Romans chapter 12, verse 9 through 13. This is the root for us tonight in this idea of us serving one another in love. Romans 12, 9. Love must be sincere. Hate what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Honor one another above yourself. Never be lacking in zeal, but keep your spiritual fervor serving the Lord. Be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, faithful in prayer. Share with God's people who are in need. Practice hospitality. There was an article in the Chicago Tribune a little while back by Marla Paul, and she was chronicling her personal journey and, and her journey in sadness, her journey in disappointment, her journey with despair, and, and her ability, what seemed, to sustain meaningful relationships in her life. And as this author was writing, and she put this article in the paper, a flood of responses came back to her as she talked about her own challenges with relationships in her life. One lady writes to her and says, I often feel like I'm standing on the outside looking through the window of a party to which I'm not invited to. It's a pretty vivid picture. Have you ever felt like you are the person on the outside looking through a window at a party that you are not invited to? Maybe some of you feel that right now, or you can think to times when you have felt that. You feel like you go through life, but you're missing the real action, the real connection that others are facing. You see people laughing, you see people doing stuff, but you feel like there's this invisible bubble that encapsulates you, that separates you from everyone else. You may be surrounded by people, but you feel all alone. Everyone may think that you have it all together, but you feel very lonely. I think that's what was not only happening for this lady who wrote this article, I think that's what happens through many of us throughout our life. At the end of the article, I like what was said. She said, sometimes it's easier to give up and accept disconnectedness as the dark and unshakable companion. But that's not the companion I want, so I will persevere, she writes. For some of us, that describes how we feel this very night. But we're going to not only talk about how to be connected with our heart to other people and how to connect our heart to other people, but it's going to call you and me to persevere. We're going to have to do our part to enter into the relationships that God has called us to have. Robert Putnam, in his classic book, Bowling Alone, identifies one of the number one needs in America today. He calls loneliness the new American epidemic. It's interesting, isn't it? That never in history, like today, have we had so much technology at our fingertips that allows us to talk to each other. It's the idea of email and and cell phones and, and 
Skype and FaceTime and, and Twitter and Facebook and texting and all these ways that we can communicate with people instantly right now and yet people are reporting they've never felt this disconnected all throughout human history. Among men that are surveyed, they say that less than 10% of the men who are surveyed in America say that they have a true best friend. A true friend that they could share their life with. Oh, they have someone that they can maybe go out and have a Coke with and catch a ball game with or, or work on a car with. But when rubber meets the road, when life gets tough, nine out of ten men say they don't know anybody that they could really turn to. Unfortunately, in our city and across America and around the world, the place where God intended and designed for authentic community to take place, it's not happening for many. They walk into a room like this, they sing songs like we just sang, they sit down, they listen to a talk, they get up, and they walk out the doors, and we call that church. That's the experience that a great majority of people have week in and week out. And when we talk about community, when we talk about relationships, we talk about friendships, something feels hollow in their heart. If you'll take your notes and open up with me, we're just going to most likely get through the first seven items here on this list. It's just point one, and we'll take the rest of it in next week. But the first thought of authentic community, what we can learn from Jonathan and David's story, is this. Jonathan and David model how to experience authentic community. These principles of living in love with one another and serving one another that we find in Romans 12, 9, and 13, it's lived out in Jonathan and David's life. Now take your Bible and, and turn to the left. Go back to 1 Samuel with me. and Go back to 1 Samuel 18. We'll be there in just a minute. But as you're turning there, I want to give us some context of what's taking place just before chapter 18. It's, it's what happened in chapter 17. We find David, this shepherd boy, in this big battle. You remember it. It's David fighting this giant of Goliath. He takes his sling and a few stones and he slays this giant Goliath that struck fear into the whole people of Israel and he becomes a national hero. Not only is David a national hero, but we, we read of him being a pretty good musician as well and he's received very well there at the king's quarters. So Saul, who is the present king, asks David, David, who's your dad? And as David says, my, my dad is Jesse. He, he says, I, I want you to stay here at the palace with me. I want you to stay in my quarters with me. Now in chapter 18, where we pick up this account of Jonathan and David, we see this background being important. Saul has a son named Jonathan. And David and Jonathan build a deep friendship. From their friendship, we're going to look at some of the principles that are helpful for us in pursuing this authentic Christian community. And so in chapter 18, verses 1 and 2, we're going to learn about this relationship between Jonathan and David, and we're going to see this relationship and how it applies to us. These seven essential biblical community essentials for relationship are rooted here. If, if in your heart you really want to be connected, if in your heart you want to learn how to not only have deep relationships, but to perpetuate deep relationships... You're going to have to go beyond the superficial. You're going to have to go beyond the how are you, it's good to see you, and, and to invest in a relationship in the way that we're talking about. The first of these essentials is this, to be aware. We find this in Jonathan and David's story. It's to be aware that God orchestrates the circumstances and the chemistry that bring about these relationships. In chapter 18, verse 1 and 2, we find after David had finished talking with Saul, he met Jonathan the king's son. 
There was an immediate bond. Or literally the text says, God knit their souls together. There was a love between them that only could be shared with best friends. From that day on, Saul kept David with him at the palace and wouldn't let him go home. He says, God has got his hand on your life. I want to be around you. I want to see what's going on. And from him keeping him there, Saul's son, Jonathan, and David strike up this friendship. Something happened between Jonathan and David. It was an unlikely friendship. You see, David, he was this shepherd boy. He was the youngest of all of his father's children. David didn't have this high society job. He was in the lower rungs of society. And yet he had a friendship with Jonathan, who was the prince. Many were thinking he was going to be the next king. And so this was an odd pair. It was an odd coupling for a friendship. The first thought of being aware that God orchestrates, that God begins to knit together our hearts. Sometimes we miss... The people that God has put right in front of us in our life because you and I have these unconscious filters about the kind of people we think we can connect with. We have ideas about the social status that someone who we would call friend should fall into. They can't be too rich because I can't identify with that. They can't be too poor because I can't identify with that. We have these unspoken thoughts of who we can be friends with. We have... These unspoken thoughts of what color their skin should be. We have these unspoken thoughts of the amount of education that they should have. These unspoken thoughts about what they should look like or where they should have been or what they should have experienced. And I I think that we need to be aware that God may bring someone into your circle of relationships, bring about a good friend that you would never ever dream of. And we could miss it if we're not open to be aware that God is orchestrating the relationships in front of us. We've got to be able to say, God sees man, and yet man looks at the outward appearance when God sees the heart. A few would would be as brash to have an intentional prejudice or an intentional bent against someone, but it's these unconscious social boxes that we create for ourselves that nobody can get in or nobody could get out unless they meet this criteria that keeps many of us isolated and alone because we think, well, I could never identify with them or they would never want to be my friend. Be aware that God can do some things that seem absolutely impossible. That's what happened for David and Jonathan. Who would have thought that they would have become friends? David was very, very different than Jonathan. But yet, God knit their hearts together. Second, we learn from their relationship some things that can help us see what what true biblical community, what true biblical friendships could look like. We have to be intentional. Rarely do we find ourselves just drifting into these significant relationships. Look at verse 3. And Jonathan made a special vow to be David's friend. Jonathan takes the initiative. He's the prince. He's got the money. He's got the power. He's got the position. He calls the shots there. Other than his dad, he's the one who's calling the shots. And he doesn't wait for someone else to serve him. He takes the initiative. He makes a special vow. That means that before God and before David, he comes out and says, I want to have a friendship with you. Literally, he he said, he selected uh, a pact by giving him his robe. He sealed this pact by giving him his robe, his tunic, his sword, his bow, and his belt. Now, I wish we had three hours tonight. That'd be a really good sermon to look at this verse, but we're not going to do that tonight. And to look at the phrase here, what, would, what it would take for a prince to give his robe, his tunic, his bow, his sword. 
the elements that reflect his power. But, but in summary, he's saying, I'm laying aside my power. I'm laying aside my prestige. I'm laying aside my position. And I want you to know that I want to commit to you, David. I want to be on equal terms. David, I want to be your friend. He verbalizes it. But somewhere along the line in the schoolyard, we begin to come up with these ideas that if we're going to enter into friendships, we don't risk too much. We only open up a little bit of vulnerability because we may get shot down and we close it right back up. We have these test balloons that we send out to see how people respond. But part of this is realizing we need to be aware that God knits our hearts together, but we need to be intentional. And with our words express, I would love to have a friendship with you. I'm declaring that. I want to to serve you. Now, Jonathan wasn't saying, I want your sword. I want your tunic. I want your belt. He's saying, hey, I want to enter in relationship with you, and I want to give to you what I have. It's a heart of serving that this relationship is founded in. You don't just drift into these kind of relationships. See, Making deep friendships and authentic community, it has to be a priority. It has to be something you're willing to invest in. You need to have this intentional pursuit, intentional commitment. Those are two things that he does. Jonathan pursues David. He sees something in his heart. He sees something in his life. He sees something about David. He says, I want to get to know him better. It's not just that he's the hero that killed the giant. There's something about David's faith that's attractive to him. It's another interesting thought. Why is it that we want to seek out the people that we think we want to be friends with? Do we see something of the Lord in them, or is it something that we can benefit from? Do I want to be friends with that person because we can have a gospel partnership, or do I want to be friends because they may be able to help me in return? They may be able to be a good neighbor and mow part of my lawn as I mow part of their lawn, and they may be able to help my business uh, plans further. It's networking. One of the things that I have a really bad taste in my mouth about social media is sometimes this idea of gathering friends has less to do with wanting to pour into someone's life and more to do with building my own fan club. We have these silly ideas that we have value on how many likes that we have in some fictitious electronic page or how many followers we have that listen to the ramblings that come out of our mouth and we begin to think that what a friend is is somebody who's a cheering section that just looks on our life with almost this bit of jealousy of, wow, you've got it good. Oh, I've got so many friends. I've got a crowd watching me. And, and that is the farthest thing from what the Bible is talking about in authentic community. It's not come watch me, come click like on me. It's me entering into your life and me laying down what I have to build a relationship with you. See, there's only so much that we can gather in a room this size. There's only so much that you can get from a Sunday school class of 10, 20, 30, or 40, or a small group of 10 or 15, it takes one-on-one relationships. It's going to take an intentionality to say, why don't we go get coffee together? It's going to take intentionality to say, I hear you like to run. Why don't we go run together? I hear you like to bike. Let's go ride our bikes together. I hear you like to work on a car. Could we work on a car together? And, and spend some time together. Now, notice, it wasn't what they did in themselves that brought the relationship together. God orchestrated it. God knit their hearts together. But they were intentional about pursuing one another. So from Jonathan and David, we learned that you've got to be aware what God is doing. We need to be intentional about pursuing the relationships that we think that God could be leading us to. And third, we need to be honest. 
If we want to have real relationships, not fake relationships, if we want to have these biblical accountability and this biblical community, that this koinonia fellowship that the Word talks about, this serving one another that Paul is leading us in for the Romans 12 Christian, it's one where we're not only aware that God orchestrates this, we're not only intentional to, to be a part of that relationship, we are honest and we share the last 10%. What do I mean by that? Well, let's look at verse 5 together. See, whatever Saul asked David to do, he did it successfully. The king, Saul, is asking David to do some things with a, with a bent motive in his heart. See, Saul asked David to be the commander of his army. And then he noticed that this appointment of David was applauded by all the fighting men and the officers. So he's becoming famous in the land. And he goes to battles and he's winning. And basically his popularity is growing higher and higher and higher. And the king is feeling threatened. He's feeling jealous. So this king becoming increasingly jealous, he comes up with multiple ways to get rid of David. One of the ways is... He's going to offer David to marry one of his daughters, but his secret plan is to send him off into battle to put him in harm's way so he can be killed. But David disappoints him because he keeps winning all these battles, and his life is no, not threatened. Finally, it, it comes out that Saul wants to assassinate him. Saul just has to get honest, and we pick up the story in, in chapter 19 of 1 Samuel. Now Saul urges his servants and, and his son Jonathan. He clues them in on his plan to assassinate David. But Jonathan, because of his close friendship with David, told David what his father was planning. Tomorrow morning, he warned him, you must find a place to hide out in the fields. I will ask my father to go out with me there and and I'll talk to him about you. And I will tell you everything that I find out about the situation. The next morning, Jonathan spoke with his father about David, saying many good things about David. Please don't sin against David, Dad. Remember, he killed the giant. He did only good things for our people. You were happy about it then. Why should you murder an innocent man like David? There's no reason for it. Then Saul listened to his son, Jonathan. We find out later that Saul's listening was only for a period of time. Later on, his jealousy and his fear would take over again. But Saul is a good study in personal insecurity. By the way, desperately insecure people have a very difficult time with deep relationships because they're always comparing themselves to others and they are constantly feeling threatened. One of the things we need to ask ourselves if we find ourselves feeling alone, am I one of those that is constantly comparing myself with others? Am I one who is constantly feeling threatened? This could be the block to relationships. But it's interesting Great friendships are characterized by honesty, not just the first 90%, but the last 10% as well. What we tend to do is we tend to get honest about the first 90%. We, we share all of the things we can be honest about, but when it gets to that last 10%, when the nitty-gritty comes, we back away. Now, if my dad was the king and I had a really good friend that my dad wanted to kill, I think I would have wanted to warn my friend, but I don't know that I would want to hurt his feelings completely. I'd say, you know, David... Um, <laughs> You know there's been some tension, but hey, I've got an extra donkey. Why don't you take my donkey, and, and why don't you take this cash? There's a resort down the road. Why don't you get out of town for a few weeks? It just would be a good time to get away. Well, why? Well, just, just trust me. Just get away. And, and, but to, to take them through the painful thoughts that, that my dad is after you. He wants to take your life. This was tough. See, it took a lot of courage to be 100% honest. We find that Jonathan was 100% honest with his father. 
He confronted his father in his sin, and he risked a relationship there, but he loved his dad enough to say, Dad, why would you move in this sin? He took the risk to, to go into that last 10% with David and tell him the full truth. See, the door swings both ways. When we find somebody that we tell the 90% of truth to, and then when it gets down to the last 10%, we can get uncomfortable. And we can say, I I don't know that I want to get in their face. I don't know that I want to share those things. I don't want to risk that. I could lose the friendship. You could lose the friendship, but it could make the friendship. If you love the person deeply, you would share with them the full truth. But it swings the other way as well. When you find someone who is painfully honest with you and shares not only the first 90%, but the last 10% as well, sometimes that truth can can hurt a little bit. And we're tempted to get mad and tempted to get offended. And we're tempted to turn and run and say, you were never my friend. And yet, in the face of that, that could be your very best friend. Because often the truth is known by all. And that one who is risking truth to you is saying, let me tell you what others see. Let me give you the full picture of truth. This relationship was based in honesty. You want great friends? Then be honest and tell the full truth. Be willing to receive the full truth. Fourth, we see the call to be available. When crisis comes, friends really show up. We find the story continues and Saul and David are going through a a number of things. And by verse 20, Saul's really after David. He sends out the SWAT team to come after David. David now flees from those who are trying to take his life. And and he goes to, to Jonathan. He flees to Jonathan. That tells us something about Jonathan. It tells us what's happening. And basically, in paraphrase, what's happening here is he says, Jonathan, your dad is after me. He says, no, 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 I talked with my dad. He promised he wouldn't do it. That wouldn't take place. He says, I'm telling you, I was dodging spears the other day. He is after me. It's not looking good. And when there's a difference in the story, he basically says, what do you want me to do? He's available to his friend David. He listens to his friend David. He becomes available to him. And this availability is the core of their friendship. We not only see that when crisis comes, friends can help us through, but crisis can help us distinguish our true friends from casual friends. Next week when we look at dissecting what these seven essential characteristics of friendship in the Bible look like, We need to recognize that you are not able to be the best friend to everybody in the world, and therefore you cannot expect everybody in the world to be your best friend. It's good to have acquaintances. It's good to have different layers and levels of friendship. But when we look at those that we are closest to, do we find that we are available to them? And the fifth one here is to be loyal. Don't shrink back. We find the story continues and David says things are getting just scary. In verse 5 of chapter 20, David says, Tomorrow we celebrate the new moon festival. I've always eaten with your father on this occasion, but tomorrow I'm going to hide in the field and I'll stay there until the evening of the third day. If your father asks where I am, tell him I've asked permission to go home to Bethlehem for an annual family sacrifice. If he says fine, then you'll know all is well. But if he gets angry and loses his temper, then you'll know he's upset because his plan to kill me has been thwarted. Listen to this. 
Show me this kindness as a sworn friend, for we have made a covenant together before the Lord. Or kill me yourself, David says, if I've sinned against your father. But please don't betray me. And Jonathan responds, never. You know that if I had the slightest idea that my father would harm you, I would tell you now. He was loyal. Skip down to verse 16. So Jonathan made a covenant with David saying, may the Lord destroy all your enemies. Think about what he's saying. Who's one of his enemies? One of David's enemies is Jonathan's dad. His loyalty. You've heard that blood is thicker than water. Not in this case. His commitment to David is so strong. He's saying, I want the Lord to take care of all of your enemies, even if it means taking down my own dad. One of the reasons I think that we may not have deep relationships like we hope is because we may not be extending the loyalty that we desperately need back in our own life. There's a very high cost for true loyalty. You don't betray a true friend. You might be in the horrendous situation that you have feared your whole life, but a true friend will stand there with you. Now, a true friend never says that sin is okay. A true friend will say, hey, you need to make it right with God. You need to confess, and they will come and call you out on it. They'll share that last 10% with you of, of truth and honesty, but they will say to you, What are we going to do about this problem? We're going to get through it together. I'm going to be there with you. God can help us get through this. There is a loyalty, a commitment there. Are we willing to extend that? Are we willing to look for that? David and Jonathan's relationship teaches us to be aware that God is orchestrating these relationships. To be intentional. God calls us to do our part. To be honest with the 100% truth. To be available. And when we're not sure if we have the same story of what's going on in our friendship, if a friend says, you're letting me down, or, or this is the situation, you go, I don't see it that way. Just to be available and listen. How can I help you? And fifth, we're going to be loyal. And sixth, we're going to be vulnerable. Sometimes we lack the intimacy in relationships because we are so closed off from one another. We refuse to let people in. We let fear and pride limit our relationships. We're still in chapter 20. It's getting pretty bad and Saul is not a nice guy. It's obvious that Saul is not going to back off and so... Jonathan and David come to these intense moments where they meet together and we see the scripture described where they hug each other, they embrace and they weep about the situation and they pray a prayer of blessing one for the other. The people that you are vulnerable with, that you cry with, that you responsibly share this risk. It's basically taking a layer off, the mask off. And we do this appropriately, wisely, with safe people in a safe situation. We don't do this all the time, but you have to be vulnerable. Not with everyone, not all the time, but to keep an authentic relationship alive, you've got to let somebody in. A final thought tonight, and we'll wrap up and pick this up next week. Finally, we need to learn to be spiritual. We skip all the way over to chapter 23, verse 15. Jonathan and David are lamenting of what's been happening. And and what happens here is Jonathan and David both remind themselves that God has spoken to David and said that he would be king. Jonathan humbles himself and says, 
to, to follow God, that means I'm going to lower myself to let you take that place. But they talk about spiritual things together. They talk about what God has said to them together. They're not afraid to be spiritual. Sometimes in our friendships, we can talk about God at church. We can talk about God in our class or in our Bible study. But when we get together one-on-one, it, it, it hurts my heart that sometimes the last thing that comes up is, what is Jesus saying to you? The last thing that comes up is, can I pray for you right now? Sometimes the last thing that comes up is, is to just embrace and, and to weep together, but to cry out to God together. When we begin to see these elements of what authentic community look like, to be aware that God is orchestrating something that we can't knit together, to be intentional doing our part, to be honest, 100% honest, to receive it and to give it, to be available, to be loyal, to be vulnerable, and to risk being spiritual together. The next question comes is, how do we enter into that? Next week we're going to talk about that. But as we pause here tonight, I want you to take these seven essential characteristics of biblical relationships or or biblical friendships or, or biblical community that Paul is saying in Romans 12, this should be your kind of love for one another. And now run through the people in your life that have been your friends. Or maybe more aptly put, the people that you are befriending. There's different stages in our life where we have different needs of friendships. Some of us get to a place where we say, I'm good. I don't need any more friends. I got my one. I got my two. I got my crowd. But could it be that God is wanting to keep you aware that there's someone else that may need you? Now, there's two different personalities, at least, in the room. There are those that gravitate to trying to be the best friend to everybody in the world. And there are those who gravitate to being your own best friend in the world. But God is not calling you to live in a different personality type than He's created in you. He's calling you to have the fellowship that He's planned for you. Heavenly Father, as we dive into the thickness of Your Word tonight, I pray that You'll take these truths of not only what Paul is telling us in Romans chapter 12 about living a life of serving one another in love and having relationship with one another. But Lord, as we look at how this was fleshed out for David and Jonathan, we see that there was a deep friendship. Lord, I lift up my brother or sister here tonight. They may have not always felt alone. There may have been different seasons in their life where they felt pretty connected. They felt pretty cared for. They felt pretty one with others. But They find themselves tonight in this stage of life feeling like they're on the outside looking through a window at a party that they've not been invited to. They find themselves sinking into this darkness of disconnectedness. But Lord, would you call us not to settle for that? Would you call us to persevere and to press on and look for what it is you are doing around us to open up relationships? So Lord, over the next few days... Would you plant in our heart and help us next week reap a harvest of what you're calling us to and pouring into one another and receiving from one another the blessing of relationship that you have for us. In your name I pray. Amen. Amen. Yes.